Welcome to Spirit School. I'm your mentor, Danielle Serenk, also known as the Squamish Medium. In this podcast, I share honestly all I have learned about the mediumship and spiritual development journey. My intention is to normalize these conversations, to make way for a more confident, clear, and connected wave of lightworkers, serving the world of spirit with an open and joyful soul. Welcome again to Spirit School. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Spirit School. I am happy to bring you an interview. I am going to be sharing with you somebody who has recently made a huge impact on my life, on my finances, on how I see myself, on how I take care of myself. And she's been very influential in my life all of 2023 so far. So I wanted to share her with the Spirit School audience because I know she has a lot of wisdom to share that my audience will definitely need to hear about. So I want to welcome you, Edwig, to Spirit School. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So Edwig Brooks is the CEO and founder of Two Sides of a Dime. She is a financial educator and influencer, dare I say. Quite influential on the gram, I have to say. I met her in the Trauma of Money program, which we'll get into a little bit later in this interview. But if you want to just take a moment to introduce yourself, Edwig, who are you? What do you do? What's your address, phone number? All that fun stuff. Just kidding. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Edwig Brooks. I, like Daniel already said, I am the founder of Two Sides of a Dime, which is a financial literacy platform. And one of the things that I really focus on is making personal finance easy to digest and seamless to implement. And my journey started from my personal journey of paying off over $47,000 of debt. And as an immigrant in Canada, it was just so hard for me to find any information about anything. Like I always found conflicting information about credit cards, credit scores. And then when it came to things like investing, it was just a whole new world for me that I did not understand what I was doing. And even when I read books, a lot of it was focused in the U.S. And even when I found anything that was remotely Canadian, I was just like, what does this even mean? How can I even implement it? So that really birthed this whole passion in me that I was like, OK, I'm going to break this thing down very easily for people to understand and also give them actionable steps to implement. Whenever I teach people, I coach people, any workshop that I do, I always give your assignments. <laughs> Get me all to know about this. Because it's all about the action, because we can learn a lot in theory, but if we cannot put it into practice, then we're stuck. So that's one of the things that I focus on with two sides of a dime. And my philosophy when it comes to managing money is that I always try to find balance. I don't believe on saving, 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 saving and never doing anything nice for yourself. I always try to find that balance between we're going to save for the future, we're going to become financially secure, but we're also going to enjoy our money today. So what are some of the things that we can do with our money to just enjoy and live our best life? That's one of the things I focus on with two sides of a dime. Yeah, we'll just hop right into it. We'll go all over the place of this interview. Thank you for sharing all that information. And that's one thing I really admire about the way that you teach, which has inspired me so much on how I'm going to be running my programs and classes moving forward, because it is overwhelming to be fed a whole bunch of information with a language that is not your everyday language Mm -hmm. and understand that language and trying to make it like actionable has been really hard. But Mm -hmm. the way that you have structured 
your educating systems when it comes to like investing and budgeting. It's like you're doing the work. And I was like, this is exactly how adults like to learn. You're like following along. And before you know it, you're investing, like you're doing the thing, which is so scary. (laughs) We took a video when I finally hit the investment part and I was like, okay, we're going to make the first investment. It was so, so exciting. So you do have a really fun way of making it applicable, making it practical, but then also making it like highly educational. So do you have a teaching background? How did that come so naturally for you? Honestly, okay, so... I've always known I wanted to be a teacher because back in secondary school, people used to come to me to explain stuff for them. Back in university, people came to me closer to time for exams to explain stuff. I had this friend and he will not make me forget this. Like there was a subject that he was flunking and we did like an almost like an all-nighter where I like taught him things and then he passed that exam and he will not let me forget it. He was like, because of you, I learned this. So I've always known that I wanted to teach, but I knew that the teaching profession does not pay money. (laughs) I kind of shied away from that. It's one of my strongest, even I'm Christian. So my spiritual gift is teaching. That's one of the strongest gifts. Even when I talk about like religion and Bible stuff, like I'm able to explain things very well. But I always felt like it was not something that I wanted to make a career out of because I wanted to go with the money aside. <laughs> so I chose engineering. And even at work, people come to me, like even my first year in the company, people were like, oh, like you explain this stuff for me. And I'm like, okay, sure. So when I came into the finance space, which was as a result of my personal journey, I started talking about my delivery journey. And then I started posting on Instagram, like everyone else does. Well, I started a podcast and then I started posting on Instagram. But like, oh my gosh, the way you broke this down, like I never knew this. So it was like more, as time went on, I was like, I refused to listen to the inkling. So I actually started in 2019. That's when I started posting on Instagram. And I was like, let's see where this goes. I did my first workshop and the responses were off the roof. People were just like, you need to do this. Like you are a great teacher. You like no one has ever explained this down the way you did. Almost like 100% of the clients that I have usually have a financial advisor and they're like, my financial advisor did not tell me this. Did not break it down like this for me. So for me, building my business off of that was something that I just felt that I had to do because it was so fulfilling for me. It was something that I always knew that I'm able to really break things down, simplify it for people. So that's kind of why it makes sense for me to just pivot and start this platform. And that's why when I teach, when I educate, I really focus on that simplifying, that breaking things down. Because I know like the finance industry is is filled with jargon. Everywhere you go, everyone's trying to sound smart. They throw all these terms and like, what are they talking about? But for me, like, I don't need to say those things to sound smart. My goal is to educate people and make them know what it is that they're saying. And not just that, have the confidence to explain it to other people yeah, as well. And you do that really well. And I just have to show you, because I mean, I worked in corporate for many years, many a spreadsheet and you have some wicked proprietary formula spreadsheets that kind of blow my mind. I'm always like, did you do this formula like yourself? Pre-ChatGPT, keep in mind, okay? I leverage my engineering background and my love for teaching. Two of those things that I love very much, I just blended them with finances, creating all these formulas. These are things that I, I used in my engineering career. And now with money, I'm just, well, we're just going to do this. <laughs> 
girl, you could get on Etsy and like sell those spreadsheets for like big money because yes. those formulas are unbelievable. But yeah, it's very helpful. So then going back to like your personal journey, because I actually don't know this much about it, but did you find that, you know, the North American, because you immigrated here, do you find that's like the North American culture to like rack up debt and like did your debt incur when you came here? Yes. So all of my debt was when I moved here. I'm Nigerian and our culture was very different. At least when I left, there wasn't that culture of debt. Like literally everything you had, you built with your hands. The houses that my parents had, they built it with like from ground up. And whether that takes you 10 years, 20 years, it's like however long it takes you, you get there. And then I came here and everything was just instant. I would never forget this. My first job that I had in Canada, I was working at this factory. And then there was this, I think he was 21 and he was talking about like getting engaged and people were congratulating him. And I was just like talking to this guy and like he had a house and he was about to get married. And it was just like, I could not grasp it. I was like, how are you 21 and you're able to achieve all these things? Like for me back home, typically when someone is able to like have a family, buy a house and do all that stuff. They're usually in their late 30s or early 40s because they would have taken time to accumulate that type of wealth. So coming here and everything was just so instant. For me, it was like a kid in the candy store is like, you mean I just swipe this plastic thing and I can buy whatever I want? Wow, say less. I started spending and it's like when you are so used to like that lag and everything you need, you have to save for it. Yeah, it might take you a year to even buy a car. Anything like that. But now you came, like, I literally, my first car, I just went in. I think I put like a thousand dollars down and this idiot's gave me a car. Why else? When you car at debt, that would have taken me five years to save to buy that type of car. So it was just a different mindset and the way people use money here coming from where I was, it was very cash heavy. You literally had to have the cash to do anything, start a business, build a house. Everything was cash. But here it was credit and debt and loans. So I really had to like, kind of like stop myself from going overboard with it. Yeah, I agree. And I'm just kind of curious about that. And I didn't know that this is where it was going to go because, you know, I love scrolling on TikTok and I get to see people from around the world and how they talk about money and engage with money. And I found it interesting that while I was going through the trauma of money with you and like while I was having my algorithms kind of match all the things that I'm Googling and the things I'm interested in, that it is really a North American thing to like have credit cards and use credit cards and live off of borrowed money. In Europe, I follow this girl who immigrated to France and she's like, people don't use credit cards here. And to get a loan, they don't even have credit scores. It's like you mm -hmm. get up to like one third of your income. It's yeah. like actually income based. So do you find then, like, because most of my listeners are in North America, and I know other people resonate with this, but do you think that we're actually, like, kind of conditioned to use this debt and to accumulate kind of false yeah. wealth? That's what I think. And even with the way the whole lending system is, they've made it so easy for you to borrow. They even incentivize you with points and all these things to make you spend more and more. And we had bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Like every time I talk about like credit card coins, they don't help you. People come for me. It's like, why do you think that the biggest industries we weren't looking at the other day when we were trying to figure out where to invest? The finance industry is the strongest industry in Canada. If the finance industry collapses, the whole Canadian economy is going to die. They are the strongest. Banks make 
billions and trillions of dollars. Where do they make that money from? It is the lending system. It is the money that they get to get to you and charge you 20% interest. That's how they make money. So how can they get you to keep using those credit cards, rely on those credit cards? It's making it easy for you. Now you can go to the grocery store, you can pay with your watch, you can pay with your phone. So everything has been, it's taken that pain. I know whenever I spend cash, if I know I have $500 in my wallet for that month and I start to see that number dwindle, I know consciously that, okay, you need to get it together. You need to stop spending because you feel that pain more as your wallet starts to get thinner. But if it's your credit card, you don't know. You don't look at your statement till the end of the month. Some people don't even look at this statement for like a whole year and years and years go by. They never even look at this statement. So they have removed that connection that you usually feel when you spend money, when you spend cash. We've been talking about a cashless society for such a long time. And now it's so much easy for you to get a loan. They even start when you're in university and they start to target people at a young age. You can get a credit card for nothing. So we made it, they made it so easy. And that's how the industry has grown is just that easy accessibility to credit and to debt has made it such a way that now it's set the norm is if you want to do anything, if you want to buy a car, go get a car payment. If you want to buy a couch, you finance it. If you want to go on vacation, you put it on your credit card. If you want to buy a house, you get a mortgage. It's so normalized. Yeah. And then... What do you feel based off of what you've seen? Because like, I know my money wounds, like I have an avoidance. I have money avoidance. I'm one of those people, as you know, you had me look up all my interest rates and like, you know, why I picked all the different like lines of credits and credit cards and all that kind of stuff. And it was painful for me because I'm like, I just want to just like throw money at it and then just like trust eventually it will be like the credit card will owe me money. And, you know, I recognize that that has been part of my life forever. I've always avoided the finances and looking at my share, really. So what do you think is like some of the more common toxic treats, money wounds, however, money scripts, wherever we want to, what language we want to put on this? Not only that, but what do you think that this like lending society we have does to contribute to that mental health that comes up around our relationship with money? I know that was not crystal clear, that question, but get what you will with it. Yeah. So with that, so when you have a credit card, right, you have a credit card with a 5,000 limit, you have this full sense of security. I've heard so many people say, well, I get my credit card for emergencies and your credit card should never be for emergencies. You should always have cash for that. But when you have this credit card, because for a lot of people, they don't see it as borrowed money, right? Because it's a credit card and it's a credit limit, right? So you, you didn't have to get a loan. You didn't have to sign anything. Like for you, it's like, again, is that you're so disconnected from it. And then it gives you this false sense of security. So if you, let's say you earn $4,000 every month and then you start spending and then you know that, okay, for this month, we budgeted $500 for groceries. And then you go into the store, you buy, buy, buy. Now your cart is like $550. And you're like, you know what? So let's just throw that extra $50 in. I'm going to pay it off next month. And then that cycle continues. And then maybe you go out to eat. That month, maybe you know that your budget, you could only fit $150, but you know what? You decided to get extra appetizer or extra dessert or whatever, and now the bill comes up to like $180. You're like, that's just $30. So just throw it on the credit card. But what happens is the next month, all your bills and every expense has come out. 
But now where will that extra maybe $100 that you charge on a credit card, where is it going to come from? You don't have it because you are living, because you have all these other bills that you're going to pay. And you're like, you know what? Don't worry. Next month, I'm going to figure out a way to like tighten up my budget. But then next month, something else comes up. Maybe now the kids have soccer or whatever. They need to pay for this extra expense that you didn't plan for. And then what happens is it starts to accumulate. We start to live above our means because we think that that $5,000 is our income, but it's not. It's not our money, it's borrowed money, but because it belongs, we feel it belongs to what is our credit card, we start to use it. So this whole system of making it so easy for you to have access to money, it really allows people to start to live above their means. And when you start to live above your means, especially when the credit card debt starts to rack up, it starts to cause a lot of financial stress. I know usually when people come to me, they're like, I want to get rid of my debt no matter what. And they don't even want to. I'm like, okay, well, but what about investing? And they're like, what do you mean investing? I want to get rid of my debt. I'm like, what about saving? What do you mean saving? I want to get rid of like, That's the only thing you were thinking about. And now you start to make irrational decisions with your money. You are stressed out. And the more you stressed out, the more you want to spend. So it's just an endless cycle where you're just so heavily reliant on debt. And it's just it's just never ending. So that's how it affects us is that it continues to allow us, it can just give you that permission to live above your means. If you didn't have access to credit and you know that, okay, I went into the store and I wanted to buy stuff and I only have five hundred dollars cash in my checking account, you know you're gonna put stuff back because you're going to live on that five hundred dollars. You're gonna find a way to live on that five hundred dollars that you can afford. But when we have that extra credit, it's almost as if it's like life is, all oh, hell is going to break loose. The whole world will be on fire if you don't get that extra $20, whatever that you were supposed to buy. It's like we cannot fathom not getting the things we want. We're so used to like whatever I desire, I get kind of mentality that now it's like we cannot fathom like ever denying ourselves of anything. We cannot practice delayed gratification. It's like, I need it. I want it. I'm going to get it. And that's, that's what I was thinking as you're talking is like what we learned in Tom about like the delayed gratification, how good that is for us to not have our immediate needs met every single time. And that question of like who owns your dopamine, right? And like sometimes the world is like asking us like, buy this on Amazon, go ahead to Target. And like, even if you go to something like Target or Walmart, you, this is where the credit card stuff sneaks up on me personally too, because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I was very careful. I just went to like Walmart once and put like one grocery shop on there. But like, it's like $3.59, like $2.97. And then next thing you know, you have like a $260 bill and it all adds up. That's the same thing that happens on the credit card statements. It's like, $35 here, a swimming lesson here. And the next thing you know, you have like $1,200 that month. Kind of If rough. you notice, and speaking of like all these stores, if you've noticed most of these big stores, now they all have their own credit card. It's right. almost as they're not even making the money off of the store itself and the sales. It's off of the financing that they provide to you. Walk into any furniture store in Canada, they have financing. Walk into like even... Fido phone company has a freaking credit card. Like, why do I need to finance my $50 bill? Starbucks has a credit card in the state. I get it. Like, life could be hard for people, but it's still not in their best interest because these things are predatory in nature. They have very high interest rates. So even if you could not afford it, you cannot afford to go into debt because debt is expensive. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it just takes a little bit of scratching the surface. One of the things that surprised me the most when I was working with you, when I was trying to justify my credit cards, you know, I think we all get defensive where we're just like, whoa, there's a reason. Okay. I get like five times points with this credit card. Okay. And you go back to that points part and then you're like, well, their debit card does the same thing. I was like, Mm -hmm. what? And you're like, it's the exact same amount of points if you get a checking account with them. Mm-hmm. Top in that checking account. This is President's Choice, by the way. Mm-hmm. And if you top up that checking account with your grocery fund and use your debit card, you get the exact same amount of points. So this is the thing, too, around, you know, the trauma of money. And I'm just not saying the program, but our own kind of like wounds with money, our own relationship with money can be quite apathetic, right? It's not even like scratching the surface or like doing the work to make it better we get into these ruts and these habits of living a certain way and it's hard to break those habits don't you mm-hmm. find yeah and then even going back to the to the concept of that instant gratification and i can only speak for myself but i know growing up a lot of the things that we wanted and then coming from a cash society it's like if the money was not there, we could not get it. So for me, it was a lot of not ever getting the things that I wanted. Like we were well taken care of, but it was never above and beyond. It was never like the fancy vacation. It was never like the extra um, like toys. I didn't even know what toys were. It's like people get toys. Like I didn't get any of that. It was like you get books and you get a school bag and you get your unicycle. You go to school. You have food in your tummy. It was like the basic things you needed. And to me, I always said, like, I wanted to go for that career that was going to pay me the most so that when I had that money, I can do whatever I want. So that was the mindset that I had when I got my first big girl job and I didn't start spending money. I got a fancy condo. I got all of this furniture that I financed. I got this car that I could not afford. All of these things, it was all coming from that space of, oh, well, I never really had enough growing up. So now I got to do and kind of make up for it. And that is also, even with people that I talk to, you see people that cannot afford the homes that they have. But I hear people say, well, my kids are never going to grow up in an apartment. And it's like, where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? Maybe you grew up in an apartment. Maybe you, all of your siblings had to snuggle in like a two bedroom or a one bedroom. And for you, you're like, well, when I become big and I have my own money, we're going to have a big mansion. And for you, you strive to achieve that. I'm not saying you cannot get it, but how about you wait five more years when you can truly afford that? It doesn't have to be this instant. Maybe your kids, they grow up the first five years, they grow up in an apartment and then you can slowly move them into a bigger house when you can afford it. Do you really have to get it now when you cannot afford it? Some people can't even afford the down payment. They have to borrow for the down payment. It's like you're just putting yourself in such a strong bind. And all of that is just to overcome something that you think is going to affect you or something that you're trying to kind of run away from or overcome. And a lot of it stems from our childhood. People usually go in two directions. It's either we mirror exactly what our parents did. Like if your parents were frugal, you're going to be frugal. If your parents spent lavishly, you're going to do that. Or you do the opposite. So if your parents were frugal, you start to spend excessively. Or if your parents spend too much and you saw them waste their whole life savings, you're like, okay, I got to save, 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 and not do what they did. The relationship that we have with money is usually stem from how we grew up even the things that were said to us some of us believed that chasing after money wasn't good you shouldn't try to be rich you should always try to be humble it's like where do you even get this thing from it's like oh never strike for excessive wealth because that's not good so all of these things are all formed from the things that we hear we learn and we just start to live those things and we don't even realize yeah 
I completely agree with all of that. And I think that's going to give a lot of listeners some good insight. And so from what you have been doing as a mentor, well, there's two things I really want to talk about. One is like pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, because you really got into this before the pandemic and started teaching. And what I noticed was over the pandemic, there are so many places not even taking cash. It's mm-hmm. like no cash allowed, a credit card and debit cards only. And I don't know what's happening in Canada, but there are some places that like if you use a credit card now, it, they take a percentage. So sometimes mm-hmm. the credit card fee is like $18, $28 just for like a credit card fee, but then they're taking away options to make payments. So it's almost like forcing us a little bit more to go further into debt. Have you mm-hmm. noticed a shift between before the pandemic and after? Yeah. So before the pandemic, I was I always used cash for my variable expenses. That was how I was able to stick to my budget. But obviously during the pandemic, we couldn't do that. We had to go back to credit card, had to apply for a credit card. And I had closed down all my credit cards. I had to get a credit card again. And it's so funny because now, like you were saying, they made this rule now in Canada where the processing fees are going to be passed on to the customer because previously the customers used to eat it. And how I actually noticed this is because whenever I go to do my nails, if I pay cash, they usually don't tax me. Like, I don't know how they do the rest of like, maybe it's under the table. They don't reconcile it. I don't know what they do, but I know like whenever I spend cash, they don't tax me the HST and the fees. So I became used to like going there and like spending cash. But now they're passing all of those to the customer and no people still don't realize. People wow. still don't realize because we're so disconnected from our spending. We go to the grocery store and they say, oh, your bill is $62.50. And we just pay. We don't even know what the HST was. We don't know what the fees were. The other day I went to like the mall, I was buying stuff and I was buying a bunch of stuff on sale. And then when she did the total, when she told me to it, I was like, this does not sound all. This sounds off. And then I asked, I was like, oh, did you apply the discount? And it was supposed to be a 40% discount. And then she did the 20% and it was only on one item instead of like the six. And then it was so funny. Like they did this transaction three times. And I'm not the type of person to like go comb through every receipt and be like, how much did they charge me? But that day it just fell off because I'm someone, I eat and breed math. So I know when something like, sometimes when you look at it, it's like, it's just, it was just way too off. I noticed it and she kept doing it. And then she brought her manager and it did it again. But someone else, and I was with my parents that day, I'm like, this is why you're such a financial whiz. Like, you were able to catch them. But like, a lot of people would have just walked away. That was like, I think when I looked at it, it was a difference of $113 that they would have charged me for something and would just walk away. Yeah. Not even realizing. So, because of that, it's so disconnected. We don't see the map. We don't look at it. We don't even look at our receipts. I don't know. I think everything is planned. And that's the way that the system has been set up. And I feel like the people that are really winning from this is these companies, these financial institutions. They're the ones yeah. getting to reap all of this at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's how come I wanted to, and this has been a journey of mine since 2021, because in high school, I never remember them talking about bills or budgets. We learned from Mecca to cake decorating, woodwork. You know what I mean? But it's like funny how everything prepares you to like, oh, like how to like start a career and make money, but nothing teaches you how to actually manage the money when you try to make it. Even something basic as taxes. We don't even know what that means. 
And that's the same thing for like, you know, people who do naturopathy school. They don't get business training on how to actually run like you're an entrepreneur now as well. You know what I mean? Like we're just financially illiterate as a society. So many of us are, and it's a complicated system. Like when you have to be researching like the investment, that my investment, like that's so scary. And you're looking at like who they're investing in. And when I was looking into Canadian finances, I was like, man, I'm like betting on people's like overdrafts. Like that mm-hmm. doesn't feel quite right. Mm-hmm. But I did feel it was important, even just as a piece of like resistance yeah. to be informed about the financial system and about my personal finances. So I've been on this journey now since 2021. And like this five months, I guess we had together has been by far and large, like the highlight, Mm -hmm. the most educated. I personally feel the way that you describe it, the way that you teach people, you have no choice but to be aware of what is happening in your finances and the financial system. So I just want to thank you for putting that out there. And then I just wonder for you, you know, you had this journey of getting out of debt, $47,000. How long did that take you? And what did you do to get there? And do you teach that now? Yeah. So it took me 20 months and everything that I did is what I teach my clients, my students, everybody, because this is what worked for me. And for me, the very first thing that I did was just to sit back and ask myself, how did I get here? what was the root cause of this? All of my debt was consumer debt. So I had to like deep, deep and find out how did I get in? What are the habits? What are those unconscious biases that made me get to where I was? Because it's not like I didn't have the head knowledge. I knew in theory what I should be doing, but I was not implementing any of those things that I knew. Like I read a lot of books. So I had the head knowledge of, oh, like, okay, this is how a credit card works and you should pay off your balance in full every month because you're going to get charged interest. Like I knew those things, but I was not doing those things. And so I had to sit back and ask myself, I'm highly educated. I have the knowledge, but what was the thing that was stopping me? And for a lot of us, we dive into the math of it. Oh, the interest rate I'm going to say, the points I'm going to earn and all of these nice things, but we don't really focus on the psychological aspects of your money and how you relate to money. And you can attest to this whenever I start with my clients. We go to the psychology first, the hard part, the part that nobody wants to uncover. We need to talk about those things because no matter what you do, you're going to pay off a credit card. And two months later, you're going to get back into debt if you don't address the root cause. So for me, being able to address the root cause, I was able to tell myself, okay, you're doing this because, first of all, you're trying to appease to that inner child inside of you that didn't have all those things that you wanted growing up. And it's a part of me also that wants to feel successful and also show that outward success to people and be like, hey, I came here with nothing. It was just me. And I was able to build all the success and being able to show that it was by my lattice vacations. It was by driving a nice car. It was by wearing nice clothes. So me being able to address those things, it's not like those things are bad, but once you have that self-awareness and you know that you start to get into that spiral, you know the things that you can put in place to kind of help you from jeopardizing your finances. So me just sitting back and reflecting and then asking myself, what are some of the things that will trigger you to spend? Because there are times when I'm really good, I'm sticking to my budget. I'm able to pay off my card and then something happens and then all hell breaks loose and it's like back to square one. So me being able to identify what are those things that trigger you. For me, one of the biggest things is stress. Stress is a very, very big trigger for a lot of people when it comes to spending. 
And especially if you're doing multiple things, you're running the business, you have a nine to five, you have a family. It's like you might be good for two weeks. And then that one week where it's just like everything is just going wrong, you're going to want to self-suit yourself. You're going to want to do something. For me, my biggest place for me was content because I'm a homebody. So I like to be at home. I like a very serene space and environment so whenever I start to feel stressed out I feel like I need to have candles maybe I need to change the color of my cushion maybe the white is not giving me the vibes maybe I need something yellow to like uplift my spirit <laughs> so I started to spend money and then I buy all this stuff and I'm like oh crap why did I spend all this money I just spent like a $200 from one trip like and I don't have that $200 then the guilt sets in. So it's like this roller coaster of emotions. And you're already burnt out. You're already stressed out. And now you're having to deal with the guilt of buying. Like I return stuff so much. Like I just go back and I return all the stuff that I just bought. But really for me, identifying that these are my triggers and these are the things that make me spend. And one of the things that I started doing was just, okay, now you have to prepare for when these things happen. And one of the things I started doing was really prioritizing self-care in my budget doing something nice for myself. Even when I was working with you, I was like, okay, Danielle, we're going to do something for ourselves because it's like, I had to almost force you. Like we have to put something in there because I know when that time comes, even if you're not someone that typically spends on all these things, when that time comes you, you feel like I need to do that because that's what's going to make me feel better. And so when I was able to nail that part, then I started focusing on all the technical stuff, the mathematics of money. Okay, so what debt are we going to pay off first? I really just focused on the things that I had more of an emotional connection to, the things that were really, because debt is something that for a lot of people, it comes with guilt and shame. There's so many negative emotions around it. So for me, I was like, I say, what is the thing that causes you the most pain? What is that debt that you want to see gone the fastest? I think back then I had like a personal loan from a friend because my battery died and I did not have money to replace my car batteries, so I had to borrow and it did not make sense for me to be paying off chunks of debt and giving RBC my money when my friend was just there looking at me like, girl, what about me? <laughs> so even though it was like 0% and she was like, don't worry, give it to me when you have it. It's just for me, that relationship was more important to me than paying off these other credit cards and stuff. So I had to focus on that first. And then the other thing was my overdraft. I was in overdraft for like a whole year and like it was so bad. So even though I would get paid, by the time my bills get paid, all of the things have been deducted, I'm back to overdraft. So it was just something that was just giving me so much anxiety. So I had to get rid of that. And then I started focusing on my credit cards. I had a camera that I financed because I was going on a trip and I had to buy a brand new camera. So I had to pay the panel. And then I focused on my main credit card. That one was over $15,000. That one had to go. And then I paid off my line of credit. I paid off my, I think the next thing was my car. I think that was the last thing on my list. One thing that I did, which was very drastic. And whenever I tell people this, it was like, how did you do it? And why? And like, how is it impossible? Was I completely stopped using my credit card. I didn't use a credit card for more than two years. Like my entire therapy journey, I never swiped my credit card once. And one, I wanted to prove to people that you can survive without it because every time I tell people this, it's like excuses upon excuses upon excuses. I was able to take a trip during that period. I was able to rent a car during that period. I was able to do all of the things that you would typically do with a credit card, but I was not using a credit card. I used a prepaid credit card where it's your money and you get to spend it. So for me, it was just instilling that discipline of learning to live within my means, whereas like if I don't have it, 
it's either I has to wait till next month or I have to save for it or it's I just I don't have the money. But because we've become so used to, oh, well, I need this thing right now. So you put it on your credit card and then next month you have to figure out how to pay it off and the stress starts all over again. So that was the biggest thing that I did. Another thing that I did back then was I stopped buying clothing. And this was because I already had enough. I was like, I had over $15,000 proof of I was buying way too much. So for me, it was just like, okay, you have to like wear what you have. You don't need any new piece of clothing. So for that entire two years, I never bought any new clothing item. I think the only exception I put back then was underwear. I was like, okay, we can buy underwear, but nothing else. So I didn't buy shoes. I didn't buy anything. So those two things were, I would say, kind of like the extreme that I went. And that kind of helped me really focus on my journey. And then I was on Instagram. I was sharing my journey. So that accountability, like every month I was sharing like what my numbers were and I was gaining tons of followers. So it's like, girl, now you got to do this. <laughs> right? Last month's number cannot be higher than next month's numbers. So you have to just keep going. So that accountability really was that like big motivator for me to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And because you do have quite a big following and, you know, a big flex too. It's like you got asked to go to Parliament this year. Mr. Trudeau himself invited you to help with the Canadian financial budget. Like, I think it's good that you did that for accountability. And then also, I think we need to normalize a lot of these conversations because I know my money avoidance comes from no one in my family talking about money ever. Like, mm -hmm. it was just never a conversation. And I appreciate you bringing up the piece around psychology behind it. And part of like my personal journey with money is since I was 27, I rack up credit cards and then I come into money <laughs> somehow. Like, I'm just lucky in that way. And I pay it all. And so I've actually been debt free four times since I was 27. But mm -hmm. I continued to rack up credit cards. And it took actually some therapy to understand that any time in my life, it's like calm and like peaceful. I don't like it. And I rebel and I do it with money and I do it in a way where it's like, well, I'm going to create a big conflict in the marriage. I'm going to create a little bit of chaos in my life mm. because that level of conflict and chaos is more comfortable to me mm. than being serene and calm and everything's working. I don't know how to exist. Mm. And so part of my healing journey with money is actually slowing down, being okay with it being boring or like not having chaos. And that has actually helped me not continue to rack it up. Yeah. And just wanting to shout out something that you helped me with based off of what you're talking about, which was reallocating how I spend my money. So what we noticed through the budget that you gave me is, you know, especially the first month, I only went over budget by $2, mm -hmm. but I was not getting a shed at all. Right. So it was just kind of like plugging away at the credit cards. But then what you helped me with is you have to save for an emergency. I was like, how can I save for an emergency if I have all this debt? And you worked with me on reallocating what I do earn and how I spend it. And just reallocating what I actually have. I've been able to put, I think, 7K towards an emergency fund already. Yeah, $13,000 worth of debt on, still have a little bit of way to go. So now not only do I have a sinking fund about mm -hmm. the kids and the stress, I have a budget line for my stress coping mechanism, which we don't mm -hmm. use to want through, but you know, you added that into my budget. You're like, we need to add this stress into your budget. Mm -hmm. I'm still in the exact same place. I'm still earning the same amount. My outgoings the same, but I'm actually getting further. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't think that's possible because you usually think like, oh, you know, you need more money. You need a second job. You need a windfall or whatever. But sometimes it is kind of looking at where you're putting everything and doesn't need to go there mm-hmm. or served over here. So anyways, just kind of bringing that into the conversation as well. Yeah. I think one of the most important things that you're ever going to do for money is to become intentional with how you spend money because a lot of the decisions we make, like I talked, even with having credit cards, is become so disconnected that if you don't sit down and put pen and paper or onto the spreadsheet and see this is where my money's going. A lot of people, they don't want to do that because they think it's too extreme. So it's like, um, when they hear budget, they think, oh, I have to cut back or I have to stop spending. But with you, no, it's like you're spending for your kids' summer camp and things, like all these exciting things that you can still do with your money. But now it's like you can tell your money exactly where it needs to go because we're so used to our money controlling us and you are the master of your money. Your money should never tell you what it needs to do like a lot of the things that we do with money is very reactionary you look at your bank account there's no money oh now i need to go work more hours i need to make more money i need to do that but with a budget or a spending plan you're proactive where it's like before the month starts you'll be like okay we need to put money into our investments we need to put money into our savings or a sinking fund we have this trip coming planned in the next two months we need to start putting money aside you're very proactive so that when things come up and I know your budget is never going to be 100%. There's going to be months where something that you didn't plan for comes up, which is where you have that extra wiggle lane where it's like, okay, now we can move things around. But at least you know. And a lot of times when these things come up, even for me, one of the things that I started learning is asking myself, what are you having to give up? For me, like when things like that came up, like maybe sometimes a shelly in the summer, friends are like, oh, let's go hang out. And I'm like, well, if I go out and I spend $100, that means that's $100 less investments that I'm going to have or that's a hundred dollars that I'm putting towards my trip and that means I'm going to wait another two weeks before I can go on that vacation so now you're like you know what you have to sacrifice in order for you to take that extra thing that just got sprung on you where before I was just like yeah well it's a night out I'll just go out but for now because I already done the plan ahead of time I know what has to give for me to be able to do that thing so that's essentially what having that spending plan does for you. It's like it helps you really prioritize the things that are important to you. One of the exercises we did was asking yourself, what is my why? Why am I doing this? Why am I wanting to become more financially stable? Why do I have to have that financial freedom? By the time you start spending that extra money on these extra things, you know that you're taken away from that goal, from that priority. And how do you know that? It's when you're able to physically see those numbers. So really getting into your money and at first it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. You're going to snort and get a cry. You're like, oh my gosh, I hate this person so much. She's trying to get me to do all this adult and stuff. But eventually when you start to feel that, it's almost like that, like a weight has been lifted off your shoulder. You start to feel that piece of that sense of control. And a lot of it has to just, even if it's just the awareness, that self-awareness that, you know, okay, yes, I know that. I'm going to have to sacrifice maybe my facials this month, but hey, I want to see this friend that I haven't hanged out with for over a year and since the pandemic or whatever. And it's like, that is more important to me. So you being able to make those decisions, it also helps you spend your money guilt-free because a lot of times we do things and we start to feel a lot of guilt surrounding it. And that's because that decision was not an informed decision. We just went and spent the money and unconsciously like, wait, maybe I should have invested it. Maybe I should have saved it. Maybe I should have done that. 
But if you already know, like, well, I already invested a thousand dollars. I already saved like five hundred dollars. And yes, I can go out to the mall and do something nice for myself because I've already done all these things. Like, you don't have to guess, you know, for a fact that you've already done it. You are able to spend your money guilt free. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a time, especially the past few years where we realize that we're not in control of very much, we are in control of our money. Like We are in control of our relationship with it, our goals with it. So if we are looking to like build our confidence or feel more empowered, this is actually a really great place to start, right? So in saying that, if we were to leave the podcast listeners with like an immediate next step, like what is one thing listeners can do to move the needle a little bit today on getting to be a bit more financially literate. You have to know what is coming in and what's going out at the bare minimum. You have to sit down and ask yourself, how much do I make? Figure out what all your different sources of income is. Okay, this is what comes in to this household every month. And then what goes out? If you don't sit down and do those numbers, it's like you're spending blind. Like, you know, you have, you make $5,000 and you know, okay, maybe you know how much needs to go to electricity and the mortgage and all this stuff, but all these little things you don't know. And it's almost like you're just spending, spending, spending until there's nothing, but you really have to sit down and ask yourself, what are we making? What are we spending? And then once you reconcile those numbers, it's a lot easier for you to start making any financial decision, whether that's we need to invest more or we need to save more, we need to attack debt. If you're not able to sit down and put those numbers down, you are not going to know what the next step is going to be for you. So sit down, bring all those. I like to use your last, if you have been spending from maybe a credit card or one specific account, just go back and look at your statement. You want to see exactly how much you've been spending. A lot of times you want to try to be good and be like, well, we only do $500 for groceries. And then you look at the numbers and it's maybe $800 for groceries. <laughs> so you only want to sit down and look at those real numbers. You need to confront those numbers. And then everything from there, it's going to be a lot easier to make those decisions that you need to make because now you have that clarity. Yes. Oh my God, Edwick, you just rehashed a memory for me of going through this <laughs> exercise of like, I think I had an old budget that had like $1,200 in food. And when I did that exercise going back a few months, I was spending $2,000 to $2,800 a month on food. Mm -hmm. So no wonder my debt was like not budging, right? And so, yeah, I agree that confronting it and just getting clear on your numbers as like a first step. So this has been a really great conversation, Edwick. I know that like what I took with you, because like obviously I want to share you and go check out her Instagram as well two sides of a dime. I'll have it linked in the show notes below, but she always like almost daily, you're giving some like free advice and amazing Mm -hmm. content there. And not only for Canadians, but also Americans, you do for both. I did the one-on-one money 360 one-on-one coaching with you, which was phenomenal. My husband is so thrilled (laughs) because we have very different relationships with money and finances and So he was just happy I was, you know, educating myself on this. And so check out Edwick on Instagram. Definitely check out the stuff that she's bringing out into the world. If you feel called working with her. Is there anything else that you want to say or like leave our audience with as a send off? I would love to just thank you and take this time to thank you for coming on to the Spiritual Podcast. Thank you. So yeah, Two Sides of a Dime, like I mentioned earlier, it is a financial literacy platform. There's a plethora of things that you can find on my website, Two Sides of a Dime. 
I have all types of free resources that you can look at to help you get started with your money. I have a newsletter that you can subscribe to every week. You get a money tip as well as I have courses as well that you can take. And if you are looking for more personalized guidance, you need someone to kind of be like, okay, sit me down and tell me this thing, what to do. And then that's Money360 VIP coaching. That's my private coaching. And all of those details can be found on my website, twosidesofadime.com. You can message me on Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram, but I feel like I respond to my DMs more than I respond to my texts, which is not it. But <laughs> if you have any questions, feel free to send me a DM. Let me know that you listen to the podcast and I will be more than happy to answer whatever questions you have. Yeah, you actually do quite a few ask me anything in your story. Mm-hmm. Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. So yeah, I always love getting those as well. And you always have just like really sound, practical, applicable advice. And that's what I appreciate about you, Edwig. You're mm-hmm. trauma-informed. You get it. You have walked this path. You're walking with people. So I just had to bring you on to start this money conversation. In the spiritual space, there's a lot of guilt around money, thinking about money, charging. Like there's a lot of intergenerational money stories and wounds just within the, you know, landscape of psychics and mediums and stuff. So I'm happy to start bringing these conversations here and hopefully we can have you back one day and talk about a different topic. I would love that. So thank you. Just say when (laughs) and I'll be there. (laughs) We're just trying to find excuses to stay in touch. I'm like, let's just get (laughs) it. Awesome. Thank you, Edwick. Thank you for having me. Did you know that Spirit School is not just a podcast? It's an actual school. If you go to myspiritschool.com, you can invest in self-study courses, live programs, and of course, the Spirit School Collective, my baby, my monthly membership community. All Spirit School offerings are intended to get you feeling clear, confident, and connected to your spiritual path your development journey, and of course, connected to other spiritual curious souls who are having similar experiences to you. I hope to see you in spirit school.